When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Hello, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 280 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we are discussing eight new ways to be eco-friendly this summer. Now, right off the bat, I am so excited for this episode because we are discussing, my guest and I, we are discussing eight ways to practice eco-friendliness that don't cost money, that aren't extra work, and here's the key, that I've never talked about on this show before. So if you think you've heard it all, you haven't, because my guest today is Paul Hope. He is the home and garden editor at Consumer Reports. Consumer Reports recently released a sustainable living guide, which is so comprehensive. They are also rolling out green product recommendations. So if you, as a conscious consumer, are doing your research, you need a new something, you can go to Consumer Reports and look at performance and lifespan, but also Consumer Reports is gauging the eco-friendliness or in some cases the non-eco-friendliness of certain products and appliances. Paul, I am so thrilled to talk to you. Tell us who you are, what you do, and just for fun, a fun fact about you. (laughs) Sure. So uh, my name is Paul Hope. I'm a home and garden editor at Consumer Reports, and I cover a whole host of different products for Consumer Reports, ranging from outdoor power equipment, grills. We have ranges, cooktops, wall ovens. And a fun fact about me is that I practice what I preach and I really love to grill. And I, in fact, own five grills. That is definitely a fun fact. Five grills. Have you ever used all of them at the same time? Never all at the same time. I like to think of them for different purposes. So gas grill, I use a lot on weeknights for quick things. Charcoal grill for a little more flavor. I have a Kamado grill, which I use for things like smoking ribs or things like that. So yeah, I use them each for different types of things, I'll say. Wow. Okay. I've never talked to anybody who has five grills, so I'm impressed. You mentioned grills. And so let's start there. Today, we're talking about summer-specific tweaks to our daily lives. So summer is all about fun. It's about grilling. It's about air conditioning. It's about watering the lawn. It's about all of these things. And so I really want to get from you your best tips to do all of these things and more in a more eco-friendly way. So let's talk about the grill first. You and your colleagues in the Consumer Reports 45 Ways to Save More and Waste Less at Home, you and your colleagues argue that 
it would be very smart and very eco-friendly for us all to set a timer when we preheat our grills. What does that mean and why should we do it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think some of the best sort of sustainability tips or environmental tips are things that aren't really asking you to give up a ton of things, but maybe just modify little behaviors. And that's a perfect example. So very often, if you go to somebody's house and they're cooking on a grill, you'll see them, you know, just preheating that thing forever. They put on all the burners to high and let it just go until they need it. A really easy thing you can do is just set a 10 minute timer when you go to preheat your grill. The vast majority of grills don't need to preheat longer than that. And that 10 minute preheat will help ensure that food doesn't stick and that you get nice results, but also make sure that you're not just burning off unnecessary propane or anything else in in the interim while you're waiting for the grill to get hot and long after it has gotten hot. That is such a simple, but also smart tip. I think about how often my husband and I, we light the grill, and then we forget about it, or we preheat it way sooner than we actually need to use it. So super simple, put a timer on your phone, 10 minutes, so you prevent yourself from forgetting (laughs) about your hot grill. I love it. It's a great safety tip too, in that you won't forget that you've got a lit grill in your backyard as you're entertaining guests inside or making a drink or whatever else. I think it's important to remember too that our grills my grill, your multiple (laughs) grills, they're essentially stoves. And so I think about my stove in my kitchen. I'm only going to light the burner that I need to use. I'm not going to turn on the whole stove if I'm only using one burner. Would the same be true for our outdoor grills? Absolutely. One of the other mistakes we see people make is just, you know, it's easy. It's totally forgivable, but people will go ahead and light all the burners on their grill and cook two chicken breasts or roast a couple bell peppers off. And what you're really doing is you're just you're heating an entire portion of the grill that you're not going to be using. And you're really just wasting all that sort of unnecessary gas in the process. A lot of people have a big grill. A lot of people like to get a big grill thinking they can host a huge gathering that way. And it is great to have for that. But if you're cooking for a couple people, you really only need one, maybe two burners to preheat. And then the rest, you can just leave off. Gigantic grills are the norm, right? These big, hefty, it's almost like a sign of your manhood, the size of your grill. Totally. And we see the same thing with ranges or ovens. Manufacturers have told us that there's something called the Thanksgiving effect with a stove, which is that everybody, when they're shopping for a range, they want to make sure that they have an oven that can accommodate a 35-pound turkey or something, when in reality, the vast majority of turkeys sold at Thanksgiving are about 14 pounds. But I think the same psychology goes into it with a grill. You envision yourself hosting 50 people for Memorial Day weekend when in reality, 95% of the time you're probably cooking for yourself, your family, whatever. Yes. And can I just say too, my husband has the smallest grill imaginable. I don't think his manhood, he's probably listening right now. I don't think his manhood is suffering at all. There was a small grill that his father actually ended up winning. He won a road race and the prize was this grill. And we have a lot of people over and he does a lot of grilling. My husband does a lot of grilling. But if you're smart about what you put on and when, even on a small grill with a lot of people, you can get the job done. So if anybody's listening and is in the market for a new grill, really ask yourself, do you need the gigantic one with all the bells and whistles? Absolutely. And another thing I'll point out is if you go with a smaller grill, you can actually get a lot of those bells and whistles for the same price you might pay for a sort of bare bones large grill. Again, 
with a large grill, unless you're really routinely entertaining enormous crowds, you're going to be able to make do with a small grill. And you're going to use a lot less propane gas in the process. You can get a cheaper grill that way. And obviously, you're going to save on gas, which is ultimately good for your wallet, but also the planet. I love it. All right. Paul, we're moving away from grills. I know you love your grills, but we're going to move on to lawn care, lawn maintenance. I should say, listeners, I've done an episode on this most recently, all about no mow may. There's a lot of things that we can and perhaps should be doing differently with regard to our lawns. Water less is a big one. Mow less is a big one. But in 45 Ways to Save More and Waste Less at Home, you argue that perhaps we should be looking at battery-powered lawn stuff. Yes, for sure. Battery-powered outdoor tools have really come a long way in the last 15 years. When they were first on the market, they were really only for teeny tiny lawns. The batteries died quickly. They were horribly underpowered. And they, as confirmed by our testing, they have gotten really good in the last few years to the point where 2021 was actually the first year in history where battery powered tools outsold their gas counterparts. I'm glad you said all that because I was under the impression that battery powered tools aren't as powerful and, you know, don't do the job. Am I completely wrong? You are wrong, but I'll say totally forgiven as well, because they these battery tools really did cultivate a reputation for being totally underpowered and not really capable of holding up, but they have gotten extremely good. We've seen a bunch of new emerging technologies, both between lithium-ion batteries and brushless motor design in tools, which allow a lot more of that power to be captured from the battery and actually translate to power to cut grass or trim hedges or anything else. And in our recent testing, we actually found that many of the battery-powered chainsaws cut better than the gas models and could cut through 10-inch square oak beams over and over again without bucking or bogging down and without the need to recharge nearly as frequently as the early days. Yeah, if a tenet of sustainable minimalism is stepping away from fossil fuels reliance, then perhaps... Investing in a battery powered, you mentioned the chainsaw or perhaps a mower. I'm looking at the report right now. You've rated 22 battery push mowers. Perhaps that may be an incremental step for some of us in that direction of stepping away from fossil fuels. But you also argue too that when we're mowing our lawns, we should use a mulching mower. What on earth is a mulching mower? (laughs) So a mulching mower is actually any mower that you already own set to the mulching mode. So we're not telling folks to toss out their existing mower and go buy something new because that's obviously not sustainable at all. You just keep buying new stuff. But most mowers have what's called a mulching mode. And all it really is, instead of shooting the grass clippings into a bag or out through a little side chute, it's usually just a cover or a plate that goes over that. And what that does is when you're cutting the grass, rather than just spitting it out, you're actually recycling it over and over to the blade really minces it into very fine pieces and then leaves it behind. So what that does is those really fine grass clippings actually break down pretty quickly and fertilize your lawn naturally without the need to apply artificial fertilizer. What do you say, though, Paul, to people who love their pristine lawns and don't want grass clippings (laughs) all over it? 
<laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, the nice thing about a mulching mower is that a lot of the clippings that are left behind are much finer than when you just leave it in side discharge mode and shoot the grass everywhere. So these clippings are very fine. They do tend to break down pretty quickly. And on top of that, if you're really bothered by it, you obviously can rake or something like that, which has no environmental impact. It's a pain in the neck. I'll give you that. But it's, it is a way you can get that perfectly pristine look. But generally, if you mow more frequently, but let your grass grow to a taller height, you can actually train your grass to grow a little bit slower and it'll make it healthier in the process. So once you are going over it with a mower set to mulch mode, you're not going to have these big gigantic clippings that you're leaving behind and treading through every time you go out to be in the yard. Okay, good. So I just learned there, we're not so great at mowing our lawn in this house. But hey, there's a benefit to that. Mowing less means my grass will grow slower. So I love it. Now we need to talk about the watering of the lawn, which is significant, especially in droughts. My town already has a, not a ban, not a water ban, but you can only water on even days, etc. So of restrictions. And so one of the tips that really caught my eye in the article that we're discussing today was the suggestion to upgrade your sprinkler system. We don't even have a sprinkler system, but for those who do, what are you talking about? Sure. So if you've got an existing sprinkler system, you either turn it on manually or some people might have an automated system that's just set to water, say, every other day or every three days. And those are a step in the right direction. They're certainly better than watering every day. Um, But some of the really new, advanced, smart sprinkler systems out there are actually so sophisticated that they can check your local weather report and look for rain, not only in the recent forecast, but also in the future, and automatically adjust the timing of the watering schedule based upon forecasted rain in your area, which is obviously a great way to save on water. That's life-changing, because as someone who is often up early running through neighborhoods around my community, it is such a pet peeve for me when I see people's sprinklers just come on because they're on the timer. But then I'm thinking to myself, it's going to rain later. Like, why are we wasting water if it's going to rain? I mean, I looked at the weather. I'm sure you did as well, homeowner. So I didn't even know that there were sprinkler systems that could do that for you. I'll link to the rain machine touch in this week's show notes. That's the one Consumer Reports recommends. Paul, we're going to take a quick break But when we come back, we are going to talk all things air conditioning. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic 
closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. And we're back with Paul Hope. He is the home and garden editor for Consumer Reports. And we are discussing Consumer Reports' new sustainable living guide. As I promised, we are going to talk all things air conditioning, Paul. But before we get there, I just need to ask you, I did notice that Consumer Reports is expanding its product evaluations to take into account greenness. Tell us about that change. And... Tell us about how will this help eco-conscious consumers? Yeah, absolutely. So we have recently launched a new program called Green Choice, which is a special designation we give to products in any given category that sort of go above and beyond environmentally. So we started it with cars last year. That's obviously the biggest thing anyone can address. But we've recently expanded it now to washing machines, dishwashers, and we'll be rolling it out to all the major appliances that we test soon. Basically, what we've always done at Consumer Reports is test products for performance, how well a fridge can maintain temperature, how well a dishwasher can clean dishes. What's exciting about Green Choice is that it exists separately from our regular ratings. So we're looking at everything from an environmental standpoint, from the manufacturing processes of these appliances, all the way to how much electricity or water or natural gas they use. And it's really only the sort of most efficient that really earn this special designation. But the great news for consumers is that very often we find that the products that do extremely well in our performance testing are also earning this designation too. And in practical terms, for a washing machine, that means you're going to get a model that obviously cleans really well, but also uses way less water in the cleaning process, way less energy, and in turn saves you money and helps the planet. I'm so thrilled to hear all of that. I think it's a common misconception that the eco-friendliest appliance or option on the market doesn't do as good of a job as the gas or energy guzzling one does. And so I'm happy to hear that that's not the case. And I should just give a shout out to my listeners really quick. They are conscious and informed consumers. They research big purchases before they just willy-nilly make them. How can they find, if they're using Consumer Reports as one of their resources for informed purchases, how can they find the greenest, let's say, washing machine? Sure. So you can head on over to consumerreports.org and check our already existing ratings for these products and just look for the little green leaf icon or logo next to it that indicates it's a green choice product. And then right alongside that, you'll be able to see all sorts of other stuff, obviously performance information. And then one other piece of exciting and unique to us is that we actually do member surveys with tens of thousands of people a year 
that get at reliability, which is a sort of often undiscussed piece of the sustainability blueprint. But basically, we score every single major appliance in our ratings for reliability. And we do that by calculating the percentage of that brand's appliances that break within the first four or five years of ownership, typically. And what that lets you know is, A, when you buy that product, you're getting something that's less likely to break down. And B, you're getting something that's less likely to end up in a landfill because it's got some costly repair you need to make that, that makes it prohibitively expensive. So that's another thing people can look at, too, in our ratings. Nice. All right. It's time. We have to talk about air conditioning. I should say I live in New England. I am not in a location in which the air conditioning is on every single day. If I'm being honest, I use the air conditioning as a last resort because when it's on, I'm too cold and then I'm putting on more clothes and that just doesn't make any cognitive sense to me. So I'm saying all that to say I don't use it every day, but there are plenty of days in (laughs) New England where we need air conditioning. What can I do on the front end to help out my air conditioning to make my house cooler without just unintentionally turning it on. Sure. So yeah, turning your house into a freezer in the process. You touched upon the easiest thing you can do, which is basically to use common sense not to make it, not to make your air conditioning work any harder than it has to. So obviously, even in New England, in these longer summer days, we're getting 16 hours of light in some cases in the Northeast. And light is a huge source of heat. So one of the easiest things people can do is just close drapes or blinds if they have them when the sun is beating in through windows. Obviously, cracking windows, doors, using screens and fans are always great. Ceiling fans in particular can really help recirculate the air. And the combo of using a ceiling fan and strategically closing drapes or blinds to block out the sun will actually let you turn your air conditioning about four degrees warmer than you would ordinarily without feeling any noticeable difference in the house. So I'm totally putting you on the spot here, Paul, but I am thinking back to my childhood. My mom, I love you, mom, but she would not put it on even if it was the most sweltering day of the year and she would close all the windows and close all the blinds. There would be no air circulation. Is that the right choice? I'm totally down with closing the blinds when the sun's beating in, but should we also be closing the windows? (laughs) Help me out. So I'm trying to think of how to word this without offending your poor mom. So no, the the short answer is no. You really want to only close windows and doors if you're trying to trap in an existing source of cool air. So if you've got the AC going, obviously you want to close windows and doors so that cool air can't escape so that you're not letting in warmer air from the outside. She may have had some trick going there where she ran it for a little bit or something then shut it off and tried to trap that cool air indoors. Generally speaking, if you're not running the AC, you probably want as many windows and doors open as possible as long as you're not letting the sun shine in so you get a nice cross breeze and some ventilation because as you probably know from your childhood, it it can probably feel stifling sometimes to have no cross ventilation and no AC. Thank you. You've just solidified what I thought was true for the last 38 years of my life. So thank you for that. The last summer-specific eco-friendly tip that I want to talk to you about today is using our freezers, or perhaps some of us listening have deep freezers, using them to their utmost potential. Talk to me, but also talk to my listeners about how they can do exactly that. Sure. So I'm, I have a terrible reputation in our house as the person who will not throw out any food and I will repurpose everything time and time again. And if people still aren't eating it, I will 
be the first to freeze it and save it for another day. But in short, that is the basic approach. You can use a deep freezer or the, the freezer in your regular refrigerator to basically freeze and extend the life of anything that you're not going to use for the foreseeable future. If bread is a perfect example, if you buy a whole loaf of bread and your family's only going to get through maybe half of it before it starts to get gross, go ahead and just freeze the other half or do yourself a favor in the future and pre-slice it, then freeze it. And you can just break off one or two slices at a time. Most toasters have a defrost setting. um, And it's something that works really well for almost everything in the house. Yeah, I love that. And I'll just take it a step further and say that in the summer, produce, fruits, vegetables are abundant, especially in my location. This is when (laughs) things are growing. And so you can put your freezer to work and save a couple dollars by stocking up on what's in season. The laws of supply and demand work really well with this conversation. Yes, just yesterday I took my daughter's strawberry picking because strawberries are (laughs) here. They are here in Massachusetts. And so we picked an awful lot of strawberries. We're going to stuff our faces with strawberries for the next couple days. But then the rest, we're going to freeze. And I'm going to put them in smoothies and I'm going to make desserts out of them, strawberry muffins. So take that thought process and do it with everything else. Perhaps you don't want to go pick anything, but the local supermarket has really cheap blueberries on sale because they're local. The supply is high and so the price is low. Maybe you can use your freezer or deep freezer to stock up on what you'll need in the winter months when, at least here in New England, nothing's growing. I love that tip. And in New York, we definitely experienced something similar. Yeah, we have about three weeks where there's nothing but blueberries in our supermarket and they're fabulous. And I think it's a great tip to buy them in bulk in season, use what you can, freeze what you don't, and then thaw them properly in the dead of winter. And you're not paying $14 a pound for tasteless blueberries that have been flown across the country or from South America at tremendous environmental cost. And which frankly, don't taste good out of season because they're picking them so underripe because they have to ship them 5,000 miles in some cases. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of using the freezer for that. Yeah, I just want to piggyback off of what you said about taste. I thought for 38 years, because I'm 38, that tomatoes were disgusting and tasteless. And then I grew a, I unsuccessfully grew a lot of tomato plants. But then once I finally successfully grew a tomato and I realized what a tomato of ripens in the sun tomato can taste like, my life changed forever. It's the same with the strawberries we picked yesterday. The strawberries in the plastic I don't know, clamshell, it's worlds away. The ripe in-season and local strawberry is head and shoulders above anything you can buy in the off-season from another country. And so take that and then think about how much better all your food will taste if you're cooking with great ingredients. I like to pick fruits in the summer. I pick them myself, usually because my kids are bored and I don't know what to do with them, so we go pick something. And then I bake with them. So strawberries are going to go into, I mentioned strawberry muffins, or blueberries are going to go into a blueberry dump cake. And then I'll freeze the dump cake and I will serve it in, I don't know, December, January, February, when I have people over. Dessert's already done. I just have to thaw it. So that's another tip for anybody listening. Paul, tell us where my listeners can find 
your sustainable living guide, your 45 ways to save more and waste less at home, and all of Consumer Reports' unbiased product reviews. Absolutely. So anyone interested can visit us at consumerreports.org and check out you know, all 45 tips as well as access our comprehensive ratings for pretty much everything from chainsaws to cars to strollers to car seats and, and everything in between. Listeners, that's it. I so hope you enjoyed this Ode to Summer interview. I have linked to everything we discussed today, including the Sustainable Living Guide from Consumer Reports. If you're interested, there's an awful lot of information in there and you're going to want to check it out. I so hope all of you are enjoying every single moment of summer, if it is summer in your location. Talk soon and take care.